Hi, this is Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty, where we aim to help you make the most of your loyalty strategies by listening to us talk about what we like to talk about most, which is loyalty. This week, we're talking about building career in the industry, so we hope this is useful, and if we've helped in any way, please like, share, or comment, and join the discussion at hashtag loyaltypodcast. So to get things started tonight, I'm joined by Phil in Brisbane. Hi, Phil. Hello, Ian. And uh, David in Atlanta. Hey, Ian. How's it going? Brilliant. And uh, Alan in Brighton. Ian, how you doing? We're all actually sitting in the same room, but don't tell anybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're all, all around the world. The, the glories of technology, eh? Yeah, um, I'm wearing my I'm wearing my who jacket parka. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I'm in I'm in London, so um, so. Before we get started, can we quickly go around and just get a quick introduction to yourself? Some of you uh, uh, were on the last podcast, so I'm sure people are getting used to it. But um, Phil, can you give a quick introduction to yourself and uh, your background? Yeah, so Phil Gunter, I, I ran Virgin's Velocity program for seven years um, and, and built it into a billion dollar business, which they then sold. Um, prior to that, ran Rewards for Amex. Um, and for the last six years now, I've been running New World Loyalty. We looked after clients in pretty much every industry. Fantastic. Um, David? Uh, Dave Canty. I've uh, been in loyalty just shy of 30 years uh, across uh, hotel and airlines. Ouch. Um, uh, it was a long time, but I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and Alan? Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm Alan Lias. Uh, my last, I suppose, proper loyalty job, I ran Virgin Atlantic Flying Club for 12 years. Um uh, my career started at American Express in the card business, and most recently, I've been advising businesses on loyalty strategy and other bits and pieces around loyalty. Fantastic. And um, I'm Ian Pringle. I've been in loyalty probably 25 years, and I've worked in all sorts. I've worked in retail for Shell UK. I've worked in uh, utility programs for EDF Energy, and I've uh, worked for Avios and Air Miles for seven years in various roles. And you know, I've been I've been around loyalty, doing various jobs, and uh, and just love it. Um, tonight's podcast is about building a career in loyalty. So to get us started, the one thing that brings us together and that we have in common is a love of loyalty programs and talk about loyalty. So I'd just like to start with a feeling of why we feel this way. Um, Alan, I know this is a subject close to your heart. So could you give us a quick chat about why you feel that loyalty is the career that you've loved so far to date? Well, do you know what? There's so many aspects. I mean, I, I'm interested in how businesses run. And actually, if you think about loyalty when they run, when organizations run their loyalty businesses as businesses, there's, they're super interesting. If I step right back to when I started my career, for some reason, I felt that I wanted to be in marketing because I thought, yeah, marketing they're the people who decide the strategy they decide the people they decide what the product's going to be who the customers we're going to aim at is are etc etc but i realized pretty quickly i mean there's a reason the marketing team is called the coloring in department and it's not because it's not <laughs> strategically important but there was a bit missing which is the bottom line so i went into general management after running an energy business for a while but actually coming back to marketing but loyalty marketing you're actually doing I guess what I've always wanted to do, which is to help direct the business and define where it's going. But actually, it's a very commercial role. So you have um, you know, not only exposure to, to trying to drive the business forward strategically, but you've got a real bottom line uh, imperative as well to deliver against. So for me, it's the perfect business. And if you work for a company that understands loyalty, you're in, you're in an environment that actually is very favorable to, to investing in loyalty. And generally speaking, if you get it right, you get a great return and everybody's happy. Fantastic. 
No, I agree. I completely agree. Um, David, how about you? You know, it's it's really interesting listening to to Alan there, especially on the the commercial side of things, because. If I can speak for a minute about the people that have come into loyalty, certainly those that I've hired uh, over the course of, of uh, my career, some of them are coming into loyalty for the very first time. And I always tell them that if you want to get to know every single commercial element of this business, this is where you're going to actually learn everything you need to know. I got into loyalty way back in the 90s um, in, in, in the UK, believe it or not. I used to work for a company called Axiom, uh, a big data company uh, based out of the U- US, uh, but I was in their UK data center. And one of our customers was uh, Texaco. And Texaco were running the, the Texaco Stars uh, program at all of their outlets. And I was the, the guy in the data center processing all of that. And they wanted to automate it and put it onto a MagStripe thing. So that was my introduction. I then transitioned into hospitality with ITT Sheraton. And that was kind of a big eye-opener for me because that was really the, the first step I got to see the power of loyalty changing behavior where people will literally pick and choose where they're going to shop or where they're going to stay based on whether you had a loyalty program and the value proposition thereof. And that intrigued me hugely. So I've, I've been in love with loyalty since, since then. I'm also a very sporty kind of guy. I, I love Liverpool Football Club, um, are near and dear to my heart. And I've always been passionate about it. And the, one of the things that I've started to, to see is my passion for my career is kind of born out of my passion for Liverpool Football Club. And in many presentations that I've done internally, I actually relate the, um, the experience of the fan base of a sports club to the customer base of an organization. And it's, it's been really interesting to be able to, to show that analogy. Uh, and I've had subsequently uh, employees who've been on my team or who've, who have moved on call me back and um, say, you know, the best part of their career was when they were working uh, in their own loyalty. So it's a great place to be. Thanks, David. And Phil, how about you? Oh, for, for me, uh, I guess a bit like Alan, I, I love the complexity. I love that it is a, a, a whole business with all the interrelationships of a business in one place. Uh, I love the fact that uh, it only works if it works for everyone, whether that's be the member, the partner, the organization, it's got to work for everybody. And the, there's an added challenge of trying to make sure that it does work for everybody. And and I love the fact that a well-run loyalty program is a beautiful business and a beautiful business with multiple levers that you can manage over time. I have run uh, non-loyalty businesses and they're not nearly as much fun and they're not nearly, nearly as manageable. So, so loyalty is, is a perfect, perfect industry and a perfect job. Yeah, and I think I, I, I'd share all of the things you've just said. I, I studied geology at university and I loved it, absolutely loved it. But when I left university, um, having studied a master's, the price of oil was $12 a barrel and my dream was to become a geologist. But there was just no one really recruiting at the time. And you should have so started on an going, airline, for Christ's sake. Yeah, I know. It sounds like it sounds like excuses with the airline too. Um, so I phoned round all the oil companies to find out who their temp agencies were because I was I was living in London, wanted to stay in London, and ended up just at Shell working. They just launched their loyalty program, and I just loved it from the beginning because all the things that I loved about 
about geology I, I found in, in loyalty marketing because it's that mixture of science and art. There's never really a right answer. It's never exactly measurable. And as Phil says, the depth is depth in everything, you know, with the data and the and the art about the about how you market it and how you measure it. And there's a never ending source of places to look to to either make money or engage customers or, and it's 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 a, it's a beautiful business as, as Phil says. Yeah, no, it's all of marketing in one discipline. So uh, it's it's a fantastic place to work and and I when I had an interview with with Alan many years ago, we spent most of that interview Alan just trying to convince the lady from from personnel why we why we didn't want to work for any other department in the airline, didn't we Alan? Yeah. Yeah. I think she's working in loyalty now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think we did cover there how we started out. I think now let's let's just talk about how the industry has evolved because we've all been in the industry a long time. So can someone start us off about uh, how we think the industry has changed over the time that we've been working here? Actually, before we do that, I, I didn't quite cover how I started off because I started off in airlines as an, an accountant. And it's actually a really good grounding because of the maths involved, but it's boring as batshit because all you do is report on what's happened and in a loyalty program you're always worried about what's going to happen so join as an accountant and then switch to the the analysis team within frequent flyer within british airways and, and never look back but one of the challenges i had so this is about the evolution of the industry back then loyalty sat within marketing it was a function within marketing within commercial within the airline and even within the marketing team, it was like the poor baby. Uh, the, the, the marketing director was an out-and-out creative that was interested in colouring in. And the even within the rewards programme, it was run by a marketer who was interested in colouring in. And I joined as an analyst. And early days, there wasn't that much interest. They, they really wanted the analyst to just pull some list and do some basic marketing. And... It's been really fascinating over the last like 20, 25 years as, as it's evolved. So the data within the rewards programs became more important. And through that, the rewards program became more data centric. And then through that, it started to move up. So there's a lot of a movement from within marketing to a standalone business within within a business to standalone businesses in their own right. And as, as they've evolved, they've become much, much more commercial. The people that run the programs have become much, much more commercial. Uh, numbers are everywhere and although colouring in the marketing estimates aspects are still very very big part of loyalty they are just a part of loyalty whereas 25 years ago they were the, the dominant part of loyalty yeah i agree 100 percent. Uh, anyone else uh, um david how have you seen it evolve over time yeah it's it's really interesting the the commercial and the financial elements and you know what phil was saying there about colouring in is so true because loyalty really is only given an awful lot of respect when the business is in trouble and loyalty is asked to kind of bail it out. When in, in, in essence, it's probably been the, the one that has been driving most of the, the revenue from a, a, a marketing perspective, certainly on an ROI basis. Have I seen a lot of change? There's been some, there's been some change for good and there's been some, there's been not enough change as far as I'm concerned. I, I think the transition of airline programs into revenue-based programs has been good for loyalty as a whole because uh, it, it now gives that program the flexibility to be sustainable over time. Um, but 
uh, I've also seen um, certainly in the travel industry programs kind of stagnate in many ways. They were always kind of built around the, the customer of the 80s and 90s. And even from a technology perspective, I'm not sure that the, the main programs have, have moved on or changed enough. And I think that's down to the technology uh, upon which they're running. You're seeing more and more um, startups and um, tech-led loyalty coming to the fore. And certainly in the fintech uh, side of the, the, the business, I think um, that's where we're starting to see some innovation. You know, I'm not even going to go down the, the blockchain path today, um, but that does we'll raise that an uh, yeah yeah that that does raise an, an interesting uh, future and does it play a par a role uh, as loyalty evolves? Yeah, Alan, Alan, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's funny, isn't it? Because we're obviously we've got loads of experience in airlines, and 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 what a great place to. And of course, Dave, you've you've obviously worked in travel beyond air with with hotels. But what a great place to start your career in loyalty, and um, because you've got so many assets that um, have you have at your disposal. Uh, not least, travel is highly demanded by customers, and to afford travel, you tend to be someone with a few pounds in your pocket. Very attractive to partners. These people are notoriously difficult to access. But what's interesting is I I spend time talking to businesses trying to figure out how do you apply, I guess, the learnings from airline loyalty to other marketplaces. But what's really interesting is even, you know, I don't know how many airline loyalty programs are on the world, 200 probably plus. It is amazing, and, you know, who am I to say, but it is amazing how many airlines still get it wrong. And when I say get it wrong, that they don't optimize the value that programs create. And I'm not just talking about, you know, we've, Phil talked about the sort of holy trinity between partners, customers, and the business. You know, customers love it because they're collecting points to their, their goal. They're getting there quicker by doing what they were going to do anyway. Partners love it because they get access to high-value customers. And they, they only invest in points when something happens in their businesses. It's pure performance marketing. And from a, the airline's perspective, what's gorgeous is you get all this contribution from partners. You shift distressed inventory very often. Um, and apart from the P&L being positive, uh, it should be anyway, if you're running an airline program, you know much more about your customers because they're doing something with you often every day if they're carrying a credit card or they're you know, shopping at one of your retail partners. But what's really interesting is another dimension to this. And when I say that airlines, even airlines, are missing a trick, you know, we see how valuable loyalty programs are. I mean, Phil has got a brilliant example of what he did with Velocity and, and building the value there that ultimately uh, Virgin Australia have, have monetized once and are planning to monetize again. There is a shareholder value component. And it's almost like you want to buy share. I want to, you know, if I was a belligerent old twat, right, which some people argue I am, I'd buy shares. I'd buy shares in every publicly quoted airline that I didn't have a clue about. Go to a shareholder meeting and I'd make a fuss. All right, and I'd make a fuss about why aren't you doing it right? Why haven't we seen the, the you know, the the market cap improvement that all the airlines that get it right are enjoying? Why aren't we doing that? And um, because it's really interesting that you know. So what's changed? 
I think, and that was the original question here, I have got it in mind, I've remembered now what it was. What's changed is many more businesses, airlines are turning their programs into businesses. And, uh, uh, and, what, and what Phil says is beautiful, which is 25 years ago, loyalty departments were a division of marketing. Now, actually marketing it provides a service to the loyalty groups. But there is still a whole bunch of airlines, let alone other businesses that haven't learned from that experience. So something for some, it's changed massively and it's performed and it's massively changed their businesses. For others, they're sitting on their hands and they don't believe it or don't understand it or their internal reality isn't aligned to what's really going on. So there's still loads more work to do, which is another nice thing. There is so much more work to do. I think that's true of lots of businesses, though, Alan. I think when I go into businesses and look at loyalty, um, often when a when a program when a when a company launches a new loyalty program, they often say, right, we know about our business. We're going to launch a loyalty program. We'll get someone in marketing to run it, and they get someone in marketing to to who knows their business to run loyalty, and it means that there's so much learning that we can apply to those things that help them get the best out of it. So, you know, there's in almost every loyalty scheme, there's something to be done. There's something to get better. And it's almost, I see it almost like a conveyor belt is some people are right at the front of that conveyor belt and some people are near the back of the conveyor belt. But all you can do is help move them on forward, help them move as fast as they can to get the best out of their program because there's so many different lessons to apply. And you can see yeah. it all over the place. You can, and, and uh, Ian, I, I wonder if, um, and I don't know if, if the others have experienced this as well, but I sometimes feel that loyalty is coming from a defensive position within organizations sometimes, where the leader of the, the loyalty program is having to continuously justify the program and the value proposition, and the, there, are, there, there are costs to running it, but if you run it effectively, there's huge upside to it. And like I said, sometimes when you kind of get into the recessionary uh, periods or if things are down, um, that's when the whole business usually turns to loyalty. And that's when they try and that's when everybody kind of corrals around it and says, OK, let's see how this delivers. But there is that defensive uh, element that we play. And I'm wondering whether over the course of these podcasts, we can possibly educate and uh, breed some level of confidence into these are amazing programs if run well and if structured properly uh, with the right people running them they can be absolute they can literally change your business totally agree totally agree um phil how about you about how you think the industry's changed over time quickly i just want to add to um what what david said there because one of the one of the challenges and opportunities of loyalty is is when they are run as a as a, as a function of marketing or, or ran by someone who doesn't really totally understand the business uh the, the number which is most transparent is the cost and the the business often looks at that cost and then gives the the uh the loyalty manager the task of reducing the cost and the opportunity is in uh, understanding the cost, but also understanding the, the direct upside, the measurable, the provable upside, and then having a balanced conversation where you're talking about profits and not just costs. And once you're on that, once you're on that late, uh, then it's so much easier and the whole world changes. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And Phil, if, I, I think if, if, um, if we could kind of put together almost a cheat sheet of this is how you explain the value of the program internally. Um, I think that's a huge step forward. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, from my perspective, I think that the, the whole industry has become more scientific. It has become more targeted. There's no doubt that the costs of joining a loyalty program have, 
have have come down to a very very manageable level for for it's come down from millions of pounds hundreds of thousands and now to tens of thousands of pounds to get things started and get and running a quality loyalty program at a very affordable cost but i think i'm with you david i I think that if you take the how loyalty programs are run and the customer propositions in the first 15 years of maybe 20 years of my career i don't think that loyalty programs have actually evolved that much from a customer's perspective i think they've definitely evolved from a from a running perspective and from a cost perspective but not necessarily from a from what the customer sees Except for the last year or two years, I think we're absolutely, as an industry, at a crossroads because the technology has become so available and it it is so manageable that people can now innovate with their programs the same way Phil innovated in Australia and, and you innovated at JetBlue. These things are now within the grasp of most loyalty managers. And that's really exciting to me. And there's some fantastic case studies coming out that you see at the loyalty wards and other places. But the thing is, for for any airline or any company which is a little bit behind the curve, there's so many reference sites out there now to look at, to to see what they've done, to see the results and use that as as part of your case. It's the opportunities, the technology is there, but also there's the stories there. It's it's there for anyone. Anyone sat, like Alan says, on an undeveloped, program it's got just an absolute gold mine in it and a relatively easy run at it yeah i and and phil one of the things that i i think i've been surprised by the the lack of gamification that has appeared in in certainly in the travel programs i tried to introduce that at JetBlue with true blue badges and it was something that really engaged a you know, a mobile savvy kind of customer that wanted to start sharing their badges and competing against each other without having to fly even. Um, it was a way for me to integrate partners and, and so forth. And I was, I've, I've been surprised that I haven't seen more and more of that come to the fore. We introduced a, an element of it uh, at IHG, and certainly when we started, on, you know, revealing uh, new hurdles for people to get over over time, but I actually think now with the the digital natives uh, becoming much more the consumer of today and tomorrow, we need to have something that engages with them um, on their devices and through the digital channels that they play and the the uh, digital platforms that they play, and that to me means Instagram. It means, you know, Facebook's probably still there for, for us oldies and, and so forth. I, I'm sure I'm sure Alan's probably still got his MySpace uh, up and running. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think there's an opportunity. Funny enough, I'm, I'm sitting here wearing leg warmers and a headband as well while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I've told you guys this story before, but gamification makes my blood run cold because... I, when I was at EDF Energy, someone within the marketing department had a great idea of doing a gamification pr- a project. And I, I mean, I virtually lay in front of the tracks of this project and thought it was a terrible <laughs> idea and it was never going to go anywhere. And we, why are we wasting our time? And I was very vocal about shooting it down and shooting it down and shooting it down um, because I felt we should be spending our time on other things. And, and, you know, you live and you learn in marketing because um, 
it got it got it did really well and we were nominated for an award and on the night of the award no one else from the marketing department could make it for the for this <laughs> session and it won and i had to go up and collect the award and i've never felt such a fraud in my life collecting this <laughs> this 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 award for a project that did incredibly well that i did absolutely nothing to help on its way so you look I mean, perhaps yeah that is a that's fantastic and and perhaps <laughs> perhaps i mean to 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 today's point and he was a pioneer he really managed to get badging uh, and community and gamifications you you got a you got a great start going there but maybe the digital rails and maybe the easy wasn't quite there and i think as technology develops um and as you say there's a whole digital well there's a whole digital generation coming through i think i think that will help i think I think what's what's interesting though is that funny enough, I had a, a meeting this morning with a company that uh, have been running a effectively a behavioural program for a mobile operator in the UK, um, and and it's and it's going pretty well. Um, but I often meet people who have an aversion to points based programs because points based programs are not new and not trendy and not um, sexy anymore. And in some industries, they, as we know, they don't work. But the for me, you know, if if, we, if I look at what how marketing is developing, I think the great the beauty of, of marketing innovation and how digital is starting to change the way brands can interact with with their customers is I think points based programs will potentially have a whole new lease of life. Um, because suddenly they'll be much more accessible and much more easy to customize to individuals. And so, you know, the money, I think, for the foreseeable future will be with points-based programs. And actually, the other thing about points-based programs I love is actually, in the end, there's, there are a couple of brands that are, uh, that are unique in this world, but most, most, US, most companies have, have one USP, which is their brand. But actually, if you have a points-based program, you have two USPs, which is your brand and your currency. Because that's the one thing that can't be copied. And so, how's as if I was young, if I was if I had hair again and I was thinking about a career, um, I probably would be still thinking I want to get into marketing. It would be digital marketing. But actually, I'd want to get where the real behavioural change can be made. And, you know, bless organizations that have tried. I mean, look at Marks and Spencers who are completely reviewing their program again. Uh, their Sparks card was a great idea about cr creating customized experiences and giving you a heads up as an engaged customer, a bit of badging, donate to charity. It, it just doesn't work in terms of modifying behavior. Uh, and so if I was a market, if I was advising someone who was about to start a career in marketing, I'd say, look, great, brilliant, but go, go to businesses that have a, a loyalty program and help those loyalty programs move to the next level because that is where the behavioral change is and so marrying engage real engagement with the benefits of you know the pavlovian benefits you know flash a light ring a bell and you'll get somebody to do something and in our, our world it's give them a point and give them another point and they'll do something yeah, I mean that's the thing we wanted to talk about now was was where things are going next, and I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. I I, I think that we we've forgotten over time that loyalty has become a bit too transactional, 
and you only have to look at all the loyalty apps out there. They're all driven by transactions. And I think we've forgotten that in this world, especially now, especially with millennials and all the younger generations coming through, is we're not in the loyalty business. We're in the show business. And I think that's what David did a fantastic job with at JetBlue and, um, and gamification and things. We have to be in the show businesses because if we're just in transactions, we'll die because it's boring. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I've been doing some um, research um, for basically my own business at the moment, but one of the st- some of the stats that, that got, I got out of that, that research was that more than half the global population were born after 1980. And that's a, that's a really scary stat. More than half the global population were born post-1980. And by the end of 2020, the Gen Z alone will account for 40% of the U.S. consumers. And if, if loyalty programs don't evolve, they will get left behind. And these consumers will find other things that will actually be motivators for them. So currency is great to have, but we need to start speaking in their language. And by the way, I think these are uh, uh, people that are, while they're digitally native, they also do take an awful lot out of a human interaction. And we can't lose sight of that element of loyalty, about it being about a relationship, not that transactional kind of piece but it's it's, it's such a, an easy it, trap to fall into because you know it's easy to measure it's easy to do we all have a list of things to do and it's not that it's difficult to be creative but i, I totally agree if you want to in, engage these people you need to be creative so yeah. I, I agree with all everyone everyone's saying about the, the the way forward where it's going to become more personalized more about changing behavior more about uh gamification all that but i on top of that i also see some real risk to the current the way the the industry currently works, the way it makes its money, the interchange changes and and uh, things like that, and the, the accounting changes, and the industry will be forced to change. It it's fantastic that there is opportunities, like almost unlimited opportunities of where it can go and how it can can improve, but it kind of will need to. So now we'd like to talk about advice for people starting out because everyone we all started once. So David, would you like to a bit, bit of advice? Yeah, uh, learn the fundamentals as, as quickly as possible. And what I mean by that is get to understand how programs work from a financial perspective. And once you start understanding the, the economics of a program, you can go anywhere. The creative elements will come to you or you can have other creative people around you. But Regardless of where you go in the world, whether it be in your own building or whether it be in others, if somebody speaks to you about a loyalty uh, proposition or a partnership or whatever, if you understand the economic fundamentals of loyalty, they will stand you good stead no matter where you go. Totally agree. Totally agree. How about you, Phil? I'd say be brave. So be willing to do things that others haven't done. always listen to customers and when you listen to customers listen for the underlying issues a customer will tell you about a problem but you got to listen to what is driving that problem so listen to customers but understand the commercials and avoid customer disappointment at all cost so so uh, one of my things is that people worry about trying to make people happy all the time and and 
it's so much more important to make sure you don't make people unhappy and then once you're confident of that make people happy and you know you know what phil recovery is absolutely a huge part of loyalty and yep. you what i spoke about earlier on with uh, with liverpool football club um, one of the one of the analogies one of the analogies that i've used was liverpool's performance in in istanbul in 2005 when they were 3-0 down at half time mm. and how they had literally disappointed their their customer base their fan base but the interesting thing was that the fan base got behind them and basically said, we expect you to do something about this. And not only did they do something about it, they listened to that fan base and they took, they took an inspiration from them and moved forward and ultimately turned that game around. And I've used that, um, that analogy uh, in many meetings to kind of show people that recovery is a huge part of, of loyalty. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. My advice to people starting out would be that, um, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants. There's some great books out there. Be a little bit out of date, but actually the creativity and loyalty has existed from the day one. And there's a great book called Scoring Points, which I would recommend to anyone about the story of Tesco's loyalty program with um, Club Card. And it's a fantastic history of how how they embrace the, the data they embraced customers, they listened to what was happening, and they uh, they created a loyalty program that was exactly right for that brand at that time. The other thing I'd say is throw yourself in. If you start within loyalty, embrace that depth and throw yourself in and don't be afraid to, to speak truth to power. You know, take the things that you've noticed and go and speak to the market the, the, the head of and the CEO and people that will listen because they will listen to you if you have facts. And if you have facts, you can do something about it. And everyone should be listening to customers and you have the, the earpiece to your customers if you're sitting in the loyalty department. So it's a fantastic place to be for your career and a fantastic place to be for the brand and the business. Yeah, I think, I mean, all excellent points, guys. I mean, for me, if it, I suppose if I was starting my career and I wanted to be in business, you know, this is not actually that easy to get an entry-level loyalty job. So I'd probably think about, okay, so... If I like the idea of loyalty for all the reasons we've set out in this in this podcast, maybe you need to be a little bit strategic about how you play your entry. Totally agree. It's you've got to be very commercial and you've got to understand the numbers, but also totally agree that you have to be extremely customer focused. And actually, if you believe that your career is best served by doing something that a company or being involved with something that's important for the company and important for the customer, ideally doing something that the company you work for is famous for. If you want to get into loyalty, get in, get find a company that's doing loyalty now that are good at it, develop a roadmap on how to, maybe it's a one-two-job you know, pre, pre-employment you need to think about before you get into it. But actually... Uh, you know, maybe you know, maybe once at some point, maybe there'll be loyalty graduate entry programs. But for now, I would urge anybody who's interested in working marketing, but also really wants to be leading businesses, to think through how they can get involved with loyalty as quickly as they can in their career. Recognize it might not be the first move, but the value, you know, as we said, commercially really successful, customer centric, where all the sexy marketing is doing because marketing is becoming much more one on one. We've talked about one-to-one for years and years and years, but through digital, through big data, it's happening. And of course, that's how you leverage business performance. And assuming you want to be in, in a business career, you know, be where you can big, make the biggest impact. So get in a loyalty. And you, Phil, how would you, what would you say? Yeah, I'll, 
So I, I actually think it's great to go into loyalty early, but there's also some huge advantages of, of getting some non-loyalty experience. So like I say, I'm, I, I started as an accountant and, and that's always given me a really good background. And it also allows you to um, look for a slightly different lens. So, so, so don't be afraid of, of starting one career and then switching to loyalty. That's no, top advice. Well, thanks, guys. Anyone else have anything to add to, to tonight's discussion? You know what, um, Ian? One of the things I, I would add is the other great thing about loyalty is uh, it's kind of like a global family. These people that work within it, um, we all get to know each other over time. And this podcast is an example of that. You know, we're, we're basically circling the globe. Um, right now, um, you've got the U.S. represented. Represented, you got Europe with the U.K. Uh, temporarily, and then you've got um, Australia as well. And I think um, that shows that uh, loyalty is relevant on a global basis, not just at the local market, but you can bring it to life locally. But it's actually relevant globally, and learn from those around the globe. Um, because people are trying cool things in different businesses, not just in travel. And travel can learn from retail, and retail have, have learned from travel. Well, that's all we have time for today. So thank you, Phil, David, and Alan. And please, if you enjoyed this, like, share, or comment, and join the conversation at hashtag loyalty podcast. We'd love to hear your views and your comments and any suggestions for future podcasts. Well, thank you again, and we hope to speak to you soon. Bye-bye.